0: Catch up with family, isn't it? Lovely to have you guys back from up north. <laughs> it was, yeah, Peter and Bob have been away up north and it's good to have them back. Hope all was well up there. Good. We're reading today is from Acts chapter 4 and we're starting at verse 23 to, to verse 31. Um, On their release, Peter and John went back to their hometown and reported. I'm going to read it from the screen. It's hard to hold that and read (laughs) to. And reported that all the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Who do the na- why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed they did what your power and your and will had decided beforehand should happen now lord consider their hearts their threats sorry consider their threats and enable your servant to speak your word with great boldness Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of Jesus, of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Bless you.
1: So good, thanks, Leon. Well, good morning. It's great to be sharing with you this morning. Um, What do you think of when you hear the word revival? Maybe some people think of tent meetings, maybe uh, Pentecostalism, maybe for you that's a positive thing or a negative thing. Maybe you think alive, yep, maybe you think of weird stuff because sometimes there's a whole lot of weird stuff attached to the label revival. But whatever you think of the word revival, uh, I've got three stories that I'd like to share that I think give a glimpse into what revival is. The first is Manhattan, 1857. 30,000 men are idle on the streets of New York. Drunkenness is rampant. The nation is divided by slavery. And yet one man, Jeremiah Lamphere, on September the 23rd began a noontime prayer meeting in Fulton Street in the financial district of Manhattan. Out of a city of one million people, six people show up half an hour late. The group prayed, decided to meet the next week, and then there were 14. The next week, there were 23. The following week, there were 40. And within weeks, there were thousands of business leaders and workers meeting daily. And God moved so powerfully that the prayer meetings spread across the nation. It's estimated that nearly 1 million people converted out of a national population of 35 million. And included nearly 10,000 people being converted in New York every week alone this is revival next rural america november 1734 jonathan edwards preached two sermons on justification by grace alone around the same time john wesley george whitfield experienced personal renewal they rediscovered the gospel and these men started communicating it in a radically new way they literally took the gospel to the streets Wherever the people were, they would go and preach outdoors, and this was revolutionary. And this was the start of the Great Awakening, the most significant spiritual renewal in America and Britain. This is revival. Wales, 1904. Evan Roberts holds a meeting in Moriah Chapel. Only 17 people show up. Many of them had come simply out of curiosity, but Roberts shares a vision of promised revival. He, um, he... All 17 people made commitments to the Lord that night and the revival spread as he was invited to other places and within six months it's estimated that over 100,000 people were converted. The means were small groups where people would get together and they'd sing hymns and they'd pray, but they were called experience meetings because they committed themselves to making the gospel real in their hearts and experiencing God. Not only were individual lives changed, but the um, entire communities were renewed. Drunkens, uh, drunkards, thieves, gamblers were transformed. Miners prayed together before commencing their shifts in the pits. Football and rugby teams were converted. Fixtures were abandoned. Pubs were empty. Dance halls were deserted. Magistrates had so few cases before them. And Roberts, this young and sincere man, would often say, this movement is not of me, it is of God. I would not dare direct it. It is the Spirit alone who is leading us. This is revival. Revival is an awakening, a bringing back to life, a return to former glory. It's something dead becoming alive again, something old becoming new again. The church, Christ's body, rises and suddenly shakes off its slumber and is once again full of life, alert to a day of opportunity. Revival is is pioneering again. Last week we looked at how uh, Acts is this pioneer story. God transforming the people, uh, the community of God into something new, stepping into something that um, was was a new move of God. Um, We saw how the, the story of Acts challenges us to step into whatever new things God has for us. And you know, over and against all the extreme views that some people have about revival, um, a preacher who I get a lot of my ideas from uh, is Tim Keller. He's a Presbyterian minister in New York, and he describes revival like this. He talks a lot about revival, and he says, um, Revival is God intensifying the normal work of the Holy Spirit. So that that what happens when someone becomes a Christian on their own, the personal renewal, the the new life, God convicting them of sin, the Holy Spirit bringing new life, this this, um, transformation into a new way. What happens to one person, revival is that when that same transformation happens across the board, across a community. Ian Murray describes revival saying, true zeal for revival is nothing other than zeal for the glory of God in the conversion of many. So I want to share three things about revival and what I think it means for us. Um, It's what is revival? How does revival happen? And um, who does revival happen to? Let's have a look at this. Firstly, what is revival? What happens? Well, it's when non-Christians get saved. It seems like a pretty obvious one. But um, the starting point is when people who have never heard, oops, non Christians. Um, it's when people who have never heard about Jesus before hear the gospel, they, they encounter Jesus, and their lives are changed. They repent, they put their faith in him, and their lives are changed. Um, I work on, or I spend time in the high school on each Thursday, and I'm, I'm continually amazed how many people not only have never heard the gospel, but they don't even know anything about who Jesus is or basic Christian terms. And so, revival is when these people hear and believe, when they put their trust in Him and they're changed, and there's this amazing transformation. It's also when nominal Christians get converted. going into the other category but anyway um it's when people who think they know about christianity realize they didn't actually and their hearts are changed you know there's someone i talk to every so often in coroa um who told has, has told me um oh, i'm a baptist i grew up in a baptist church i was baptized i know all that stuff but you know, i'm just not into that anymore i'm not into church um i i understand all about it but it's just yeah not for me there's someone else that was in, um, when I was in Broken Hill Baptist, that would take people to church to drop them off, <clears throat> but he would never come in. And so one Sunday, uh, one of our church members went out and said, hey, why don't you come join us? Come and join us. And, and they said, uh, you know, I've been to church plenty of times. I know all that stuff, and I'm, I'm happy where I'm at with God. I'm, I don't need to know anymore. And what happens is that people can think they know the gospel when in fact they've never experienced God. They've never encountered the gospel. And revival is when nominal Christians wake up and realize, I'm more sinful than I could ever dare believe. I I need a savior. And yet, at the very same time, I'm more loved and accepted in Jesus than I could ever believe possible. Revival is when nominal Christians hear the gospel and are converted. And finally, revival is when sleepy Christians wake up. It's when um, the church rises from its slumber and realizes that it's not only possible in, uh, to be part of a Christian community and have a heart right, not right before God, but the calling as a church is that we need to wake up and experience the reality of God's presence in a way that we have never done before. When the Holy Spirit hits people afresh with the gospel, when, when we realize that our heart's idols The things that we've been finding our identity in that we realize that um, those things can never satisfy us. The things that we think we have our worth in that that define us when we repent of those and we're filled with this new love and this new passion for God and others. It's when sleepy Christians wake up. Do you see that there are people in Koroa in each of these camps? There are people, we, we need revival. Um we need God to move and pioneer again in our midst. And just to go on a little detail here, this is not in my notes, but I think if we don't realize, if we don't think we need revival, it's probably because I think of one of two things. I think it's either that we, we don't realize the seriousness of sin, we don't realize the depravity of sin, or we don't realize the glory of grace. If, if, if I think sometimes we can think, Coral is a nice, I'm not sure what I'm doing, anyway, if, um, if, if Koroa if we just look at Cora and go oh that's a, this is a nice community it 's nice if we don 't have eyes to see the fact that sin destroys people, it destroys communities it, it breaks there are people whose lives are being torn apart because of broken relationships and it 's lead, leading them to suicide there there are people who um, have such a wrong view of sexuality and, and pornography that it leads to sexual violence and domestic violence and rape. Our communities are broken. And if we don't see the weight of sin, then then we're not going to call for revival. On the other hand, if we don't see the glory of grace that there is, God has provided an answer to each and every one of the problems in our community. That God has actually said, you know, for the people that are hopeless, I have a hope. For the people who are like in chains, I have freedom. Do you see like, oh my goodness, I feel like preaching. (laughs) Anyway, I better get back to my notes. um, So how does revival happen? Some people say, you know, God does what God does, right? Um, You know, we can't decide when God moves. Um, He just... Some places he shows up, some places he doesn't, and that's this is the way it is. And it's true that revival is all of God and not of us. But I think there are people who have studied. Oh, yeah, um, there are people who have studied revivals, and they found that um, there's four marks that tend to always be just before a revival happens. These things are happening in the back, the background, and it's extraordinary prayer. It's when there's a recovery of the gospel. It's when there's changed lives. Oops. Lives. And when, when there's creativity. And when there's these four things, they're often the seeds and the marks before revival. First, extraordinary prayer. Whenever revival breaks out, there's someone somewhere praying. I loved in the passage that Leon read out before, there's this awesome prayer. I'm going to read some of it again. And these people, Peter and Paul are being persecuted and um, they've they've just been in prison. They've been flogged. And and when they're freed, as soon as they were freed, it says, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what, what the leading priests and the elders had said. And when they heard the report, all the believers, all the believers, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. Oh, sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth. And they go on and then it says, Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done. They pray, O oh Lord, hear their threats and give us boldness. And in this incredible prayer, it says, after the prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they preached the word of God with boldness. You know, I think when we pray, when, when I pray, I think sometimes, especially in church, we can be, I can be so concerned about what other people think about um, whether it sounds good, whether um, whether i 'm saying the right thing, but what would happen if we would be so passionate about prayer about crying out to God, that our dignity would go out the window, that we would be so on fire and going, God, we need revival. We need you to show up. We need you to be changing the non-Christians, to be saving the nominal Christians, to be waking up the sleeping Christians. We need this to be so abandoned at the foot of the cross and, and at the mercy of God, that we just we don't care what other people think. And our dignity goes out the window because all we care about is crying out to God. What would it look like if we were a church that prayed like that? The second key is a recovery of the gospel. Uh, I love how in Acts 2.37, just after Pentecost, um, Peter has... Um, just preached this amazing message reminding people who is Jesus. And then um, he says, So let everyone know in Israel that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And Peter's words pierced their hearts. They were cut to the heart and they said, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter said, Repent and believe. And, and I love that they were cut to the heart. Whenever people actually hear the gospel, whenever we actually get the gospel of grace, it changes our desires. We go from, I, I believe, I, I, I obey, therefore God accepts me. I do the right thing, therefore God will accept me. No, we change to, I'm unconditionally accepted in God, therefore I want to obey. We go from, I'm motivated by fear and insecurity, I better do the right thing, otherwise God is going to punish me, to no, no, I'm unconditionally accepted in God, therefore I want to go, I want to reach out, I'm motivated by love, over and against um, a, a swinging identity where we swing between, no, no, I, um, if I'm doing well, I'm on top of the world, I'm proud, or if I'm doing badly, I'm feeling crushed and despondent and... and, and um, terrible and swinging between the two based on our performance. No, over and against that, the gospel says, no, I am a child of God. I have an identity that is so secure that it will not change. And therefore, no matter what happens to me, whether I do well or not, whether good things happen or not, over and against that, I have something so secure that will not change. The mark of revival is when people realize the full weight of what Jesus has done. They see when we see the weight of your sin is so bad that it would put jesus on the cross that jesus would die for what you have done and yet we see the weight of love that his love was so great that he would die it's not just that he would see everything god doesn't just say i see everything you've done but he also says i love you more and when we see that this recovery of the gospel it's the second key to revival thirdly and this gospel leads to changed lives. The third mark of revival is when people, when people are spiritually renewed themselves, they, there's this infectious marks of spiritual renewal. Contagious joy. Affectionate seriousness. This was a phrase that came up in um, the, the Great Awakening. I love it. The, the, the task of taking serious the business of loving people. Affectionate seriousness. The idea that... Um, Uh, When changed lives happen, people in our community going, I never thought that person would become a Christian. I never thought a person like that could be a Christian. I love how in, uh, in Acts, when people are changed by Jesus, for example, Paul in Acts 9, people are looking at this man and they say, who is this man? Like, is this the same person that I knew before? Is this the same person that was doing this before? Or when, when Jesus heals someone in the gospel, his friends go, isn't that the crippled man? But he, he's not the same. Who is he? What would it look like if we were a church that lives such changed lives that people go, is that the same person I knew before? And finally, the last mark of revival is creativity. I love how in uh, C.S. Lewis's Narnia Chronicles, Uh, there's this part where Aslan, who is the uh, Jesus figure, says, I never do the same thing twice. Or things never happen the same way twice. And I think um, uh, when we look at revivals, when we look at Acts, the book of Acts is an incredible story, but it's not Coral Baptist story. We looked at that last week. It's not our story. God is writing our story afresh by the Holy Spirit. Whenever there's been a remarkable move of God, it's never been the same. God always does something new. In fact, when people try and take the old methods, the old way of doing things, and dragging them into the new move of God, it almost always kills the revival. But what if we were a church that was so bold to have eyes to see the fresh and new ways which God might be calling us? To see the fresh and new things which we might step into to engage Coralist culture? What if we had the boldness to step out and pioneer again and try again? So, four marks of revival, extraordinary prayer, the recovery of the gospel, changed lives, and creativity. But finally, who does revival happen to? Because I think when we look at all this, what happens, how it happens, I think sometimes we can go, well, that's just other people, right? That doesn't happen in Kaurua or places like this. That doesn't happen to people like me that's just other people. But what if the key to revival was you? What if you telling your story was the key to revival? Uh, we talked about last week how in Romans 8, 11 it says, and the same Spirit which raised Christ from the dead lives in you. The same Spirit which sent out the church, which did incredible things in the Acts church. What if that same Spirit lived in you? What if you were the key to revival? What if you praying was the key to revival? What if choosing to pray for the first time out loud or choosing to to, um, commit, no, I'm going to pray every day for Korowa or every day for my community? What if that was the key to revival? What if choosing joy over discouragement what if choosing to, to be defined by encouragement over against criticism? What about being choosing to, to be modeling Jesus instead of, of um, living just like everyone else? What if that was the key to revival for you? This is revival. I want to finish with a quote from Tim Keller, which is, um, Before the final revival of all, I believe that God has many more revivals up his sleeve. I love that. God has many more revivals up his sleeve. May we be a church that is so characterized by extraordinary prayer, so characterized by the gospel, so characterized by changed lives that people take notice, so characterized by a creativity to see new things which God might be doing. What if we were a church like that? And I believe that when we do that, we would be able to see that God can and will always do more than we can ever ask or think or imagine. Let's pray. Actually, yes, let's pray in small groups. Let's we're gonna break into groups of say five ish. Turn around to a few people around you. We're gonna pray for a revival. Pray for a choral or pray for your community. Turn around and let's pray.